Welcome to the number one podcast covering Michigan State basketball. The Final Four is not in the schedule. Join Rod and me, Eric, as we dive deep into the Spartans to get you prepared for every game. Subscribe today for in-depth recruiting updates and fantastic interviews with today's important college basketball personalities like Robbie Hummel. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I have listened to your guys' podcasts numerous times on drives throughout any Midwestern Big Ten city, so I, I am big fans of your guys' work. Jay Billis. And next time, hey, if anybody in Michigan wants a December tea time, call me. You wimps won't show up, but I'll I'll be there. I'll be there and play in the cold. And Izzo will be in front of the fire with hot chocolate. Coaches Thomas Kelly. Oh, no problem. Glad to be back, man. Glad to be back. Mike Garland. You just can't sit there and trade twos for threes. You can't do it. You're gonna lose. Coming down the stretch, you're gonna lose. And more. You won't find better coverage of Spartan Hoops than you will get here. For both the casual and hardcore fan, come along as we take you for a green and white ride. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod here to talk about MSU's upcoming game at home against the Iowa Hawkeyes. I'd just like to remind you that if you've not yet subscribed to the show, please do so now because it's free. And if you haven't yet rated the show, please leave a quick five-star written review, if you could, writing one's nicer, on your podcast player so other Spartan fans can find the show through the algorithms. Uh, remember, we also have a mailing list you can sign up for on the website as well as the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash TFFIOTS. We're also on Twitter at TFF. I own OTS 68. Okay, so the Spartans return home with a rare road sweep and are riding a three-game win streak to host two home games against winnable yet tricky opponents. The game at West Lafayette still looms out there in the distance, but is getting closer. You'd sure like to have some positive momentum heading into that matchup against the Boilermakers. But in order for that to happen, you've got to get one against Iowa and then Ohio State. So the Iowa Hawkeyes come in to, on Tuesday night for the only regular season meeting between the two schools. They're 15-11 and 11 on the season, 7-8 and eight in the Big Ten, ranked 57th overall in Ken Palm, and 66 in the net. So they're definitely outside the NCAA. They have plenty of quad one opportunities, this being one of them. Uh, so they have a chance to get in if they get really hot, but they've got to do some work. Uh, they're coming off a big overtime win against Wisconsin, which is Wisconsin's fifth loss in six matchups. Uh, on offense, Iowa is once again very good. They're 13th in overall just efficiency. They also have finished, they've been finished inside the top 20 now every year going back to 2017, 2018. But they have some weaknesses. They don't shoot the three very well, which is a little surprising. They're 33.6% this year. They don't offensive rebound at a high rate. They're 166th, which is one spot lower than Michigan State. Uh, they also don't get the line a whole lot. They're number 209 in free throw attempts to field goal attempts. But they shoot twos very well at 52. Uh, they convert free throws when they get there. They shoot almost 78% from the line. And they also don't turn the ball over very much. They're number ninth in turnover percentage. And guess what? On defense, they're not very good. <laughs> they're, they're actually, uh, they were all the second worst team in defense to Michigan. And now they're the worst defense compared to Michigan. They've switched places at the, this last weekend. They're 173rd in adjusted defensive uh, efficiency overall. Uh, which would be the third worst, which, wow, that's saying somebody they've actually been worse than this uh, in Friends' tenure. Uh, the, they are th giving up 35% from three. Uh, they're 129th in limiting attempts, so not very good at that. And they are also 211th against twos, 254th in defensive rebounding. And I can tell you after watching lots of Iowa games, it certainly feels that bad. And they foul a lot. They're 182nd in free throw attempts to field goal attempts against which is something they don't usually do, but they've had a lot of trouble there. And they play fast, which they usually do. They're 22nd in overall tempo, 
and 16th in overall uh, length of offensive possessions. Yeah, it's, you know, the profile is is not an unusual one by Fran McCaffrey standards. It's just that I think the defense is, you know, we're used to a typical Iowa defense in recent years being like, you know, 103rd. Mm-hmm. 89th, that kind of thing. Where it's it's not good. It's it's bad actually for a Big Ten team, but it's not catastrophically bad. They this team has been catastrophically bad, and I think that's the difference. I think that's why we're because t- the offense is certainly not great in some respects, but it's where it is because they do two very important base things well. They shoot the ball well from two, mm-hmm. and they don't turn it over. So it's it's more or less. You know, Iowa's had actually a top five offense for the last three or four years. So by that those standards, this offense is a little worse, but it's still an efficient offensive team. That's normal for them. I think the difference is, you know, when they've got a defense that's just bad, the offense is good enough to make them a tournament caliber team, right? I, I forgot yeah. to look, but I don't know. What is it? It's probably, you might know, it's got to be at least six or seven years in a row they've been to the NCAA tournament, right? Um, they've had a little, a they nice have a long streak. streak. Yeah, they have yeah. one of the longest streaks in the Big Ten. Yeah, and without a miracle, they're not going this year. I mean, yeah, I know theoret- have- theoretically it's possible if they – if they just go on a tear and and mm-hmm. uh, win their last five, but they're not doing that. Yeah, I think five of their last six are uh, quad one opportunities. This being one, they have Illinois twice. Right. So I mean, they've got opportunities. You know, just that's what they you do, want. But, but I tell you what, they got they got to win those. Yeah, I, I don't I don't see a Michigan State twenty twenty one scenario with this team, um, and in part it's because they are so bad defensively, and and I guess that's my point. Mm-hmm. Is that's yeah. the difference with just a bad defense? This is probably a tournament caliber team, but they have an ultra bad defense, a really bad defense, a one of the worst in recent <laughs> Big Ten history defense. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how it is, and so that's why you don't see them in in tournament position is for that reason. Um, offensively, as we said, they they don't turn it over, they play fast as they usually do. They don't turn it over. They shoot twos well. They're not a great three-point shooting team. They don't offensive rebound, which is, you know, in recent years, you don't think about it because I think of, I would imagine most of our listeners do as well, I think of Fran McCaffrey and Iowa teams as finesse teams, right? We think of them, you mentioned it, like the three-point shooting isn't good and that's not what you think of when you think of Iowa with these mad bombers, right? Mm-hmm. And and playing fast, and you don't think about um, any grit type stuff. But they've actually been a pretty good offensive rebounding program for the last several years. If you yeah. think about guys like Luca Garza, um, Murray twins, you know, the, the Murray twins, uh, Rabracha in recent years. You know they've had guys who could do that. This team really isn't doing that they're one spot worse than Michigan State we know Michigan State's been intermittently effective at best on the offensive glass well that's Iowa too um and as you say the three-point shooting not a strength they also don't put a lot of pressure on defenses 
which you can measure by the fact they don't get to the line all that much. When they do get there, they shoot it very, very well, almost 78% as a team, which is great. But they don't get there a lot. So it's yeah. only it's it only helps so much. Defensively, it's all a train wreck. Um, they they don't defend well against the three by percentage, which as we know is to some extent a luck stat, but they also don't limit attempts. So they're getting they're getting hit both ways on that. And they're really bad against twos. They don't have any real rim protection. Uh, they struggle to stay in front of people. And then unusually, as you mentioned, they foul a lot. That's one thing that, and and that might be one of the big differences between this Iowa defense and some others in recent years. Usually, the one thing you could say about a Fran McCaffrey defense is, well, at least they don't foul anybody. They might let them go right by them to the rim, <laughs> or they might give them wide open threes, but they're not fouling them. This team's fouling too, which, and you've se- I'm sure you've seen more of them than I have. My impression is it's it's being that kind of stuff is being forced by the fact that they don't stay in front of anybody. So yeah. when you're in that position, you're gonna foul. Um, but it's it has it has not gone well. Defensive rebounding, horrendous. So when you're this bad, both ends on the boards, that's that's telling you something. It's telling you you don't have a physicality, you don't have a, a level of toughness because they've got at least by physical measurement, they have size. They're not a they're not a super small team, and yet the rebounding is as bad as it is. That that indicates a problem. So, yeah, defensively, it's. It's just a bad picture in every possible respect. Uh, and they don't turn people over either. So Yeah, no, for sure. There's just no there, there's no saving grace. There's nothing you look at defensively and say, well, at least they do this okay. So it's 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 hard when you when you have a team like this, it's not a surprise that you're what are they, seven and eight? Yeah. Not a surprise. Because You've got enough offense that on a day when you're hitting and you're kind of on, you might have enough to overcome some teams. But that defense is always going to be a problem. And on days when the offense isn't clicking, you're done. So what you get is an up-and-down season and a mediocre, you know, they're the overall as a team, they're, they're where most of the Big Ten is. If you look at the Big Ten standings right now, Mm-hmm. And we got a lot of teams between, you know, six and eight wins. Yeah. The bulk of the league, really. And I was just one of those teams in that muddled middle. Um, and they don't have enough to be able to find a level of consistency to get out of that. Yes, I think that sums up well. You know, we have we watch almost every hour game because my wife's a huge Hawkeye fan. And I... I don't know if you have the numbers, if it's easy to get to, but that defensive rebounding number with a 254th, I feel like this season it has been very unusual for them because they they normally did not struggle as much in the boards uh, with the, with Murray Twins and then before that with Gars, like you mentioned. They were able to at least end defensive possessions, even though they weren't very good at guarding people. And this year they are, I mean, getting just slaughtered on the uh, boards which gives easy twos and easy threes for their opponents, which you know may reflect a lot of those other numbers we talked about and how the percentages are so high for everything. 
uh, I just feel like that's what's just really, really hurting the most. And that's when games are close, like when they play in Wisconsin's last game, I mean, I can't remember, I don't know how many offensive rebounds Wisconsin had, but it seemed like at least 15 or so. I'd have to go back and look. Let me, let me see. So last season, for example, they were 65th in offensive rebounding, 127th on defense. Not great, but markedly better than this year at 254. Now, two years ago, they were 258, so they were pretty okay. bad two years ago. And that's with both twins. Two, 220 the year before that with Garza and company. Um, yeah, 253. They've actually been a pretty bad defensive rebounding team. To me, the difference is offense, because yeah. going back Must be. to the 1920 season on offense, 52nd, 81st, 51st, 65th, and then this year, 166th. So that's where the real, the yeah. real downfall mm-hmm. has come is on the offensive end. All right. Well, let's uh, go through the lineups for the Hawkeyes. Uh, brought to you by the Brothers Just Two Gutters and sponsoring the player that Michigan State needs to keep in the gutter. Uh, the Brothers Just Two Gutters are the, your should be your go-to stop for getting gutter work done in your house. As we know, water is a big deal in Michigan. You want to make sure it doesn't pool up by the side of your house, which can cause all kinds of problems. The Brothers will fix. Uh, it's just uh, one gutter. They'll take care of the whole house. Whatever you need done, they can do it. They come out and do a quick estimate, good pricing. You get actually 10% off if you mention Final Four when you get your estimate. Uh, you can do this if you're on the east side of the state, Metro Detroit area, or in the west side of the state. And they will do whatever needs to be take, done. They'll clean them out. They'll repair them. They'll replace them. They've got huge selection. And like I said, great pricing. And they get the job done very quickly, even in this sort of weather. So if you know, with the snow melt and stuff, you want to make sure that stuff take, gets taken care of. And they can also take care of your business as well. All right, so we'll begin with the starters. Uh, Tony Perkins, 6'4", senior, averaging 15.4 points a game on 47, 31, and 80 shooting. Uh, leading the team in assists at just over four a game. Better than 2 to 1 assist turnover ratio. Gets to the line quite a bit, five free throw attempts a game. He also gets a lot of rebounds at 4.3 a game. And I would say most of his rebounds are offensive, so he's very effective even though he's pretty small he's really good at getting uh, offensive rebounding he's mostly become i think the player that they thought he could be if you remember perkins was a very unheralded recruit out of indiana he was not a guy that iu or purdue were in on um and i always had some of these guys over france tenure where they're undervalued recruits and they end up becoming the Murray twins being the best examples. But yeah. he's had a lot of them. He said some guys who were highly regarded, um, but a lot of guys like this have been keys to his program. And Perkins showed right away as a freshman because he got into the rotation as a freshman when it wasn't necessarily obvious that he would, that he had potential. And it seemed like it was inevitable that he was going to be a guy they moved on the ball later in his career, and that's what he is for this team. He's their point guard. Dice overall contributions. I mean, leading the team in scoring, leading the team in assists, and he's among their rebounding leaders as well. So he's contributing in a lot of ways. He's a typically efficient Iowa guard, doesn't make a ton of mistakes, Uh the, the one thing that has prevented him from being, you know, because I, as somebody who follows Big Ten basketball, and I'm sure some of our listeners can attest to this, do you, do you ever hear Tony Perkins really talked about? 
nope. in this league? No, you don't. So why is that? Because the numbers are pretty good. I think the reason is, and it's the reason he's been unable to break into the top tier of guards in this league is that he doesn't shoot the jumper particularly well. Yeah. And that's been the limiter for him pretty much all the way, right? Mm-hmm. That's what separated him because he's got a lot of other components to being a high-level college guard. But he does, including size at 6'4". He's a big, you know, this is a guy who, one of the rare point guards in this league that physically is a match for someone like A.J. Hogard. Yeah, they're almost identical you know? numbers-wise. Yeah, yeah. But... um he just his his inability to shoot has been from deep has been what's prevented him from being in that upper echelon but he's a good player he just he's kind of lost in the shuffle i think for that reason and because iowa is part of this gigantic mass of mediocrity <laughs> in the big yeah. 10 this year and so he doesn't stand out but he's he's definitely he's he's the guy that michigan state has to keep in the gutter He's their best player in my view. Yeah, I think so too. And he's a streaky shooter too. So you can, he yeah, could go he, three for four from three and you would not sure. be shocked. So that's one thing you should sure. be concerned about. Uh, moving on to Josh Dix, 6'5", sophomore. He's been a starter recently for the last 10, 11 games. Uh, he's averaging 7.2 points a game on 53, 43, and 87. Uh, he's also uh, recently been much more... Um, Going uh, scoring at three levels than he was earlier in the season. Before the early in the season, he was pretty much just drifting around outside the line. He's kind of a yeah. secondary point guard now. His favorite shot is right now kind of like a little bit of fade away at the free throw line, and so that's something he's been doing quite a bit. Besides, occasionally driving the to the goal too. You know, this is we said this is not a great three point shooting team by any means. So I still think his the primary reason you're seeing him maybe with an increased role is that he does give them, you know, a plus 40% guy from yeah. out there. But you're right. When you look at the numbers, they're not skewed as heavily to three-point attempts as I would have thought because that's what he came in as, his reputation is one mm-hmm. of these. And you've seen, you know, certain programs have a type, right? Um, Matt Painter has seven-foot-five <laughs> giants <laughs> as his type, you know? Um, at Iowa... It's six six white wings who can shoot, aren't particularly athletic, don't defend. Well, here's the latest model, right? <laughs> but you're right. He is doing a little more offensively in terms of variety than than he had been earlier in the season or last year. And then moving on to Peyton Sanford, six seven senior uh, junior, averaging fifteen point one points a game, which leads the team or second on the team in scoring. Uh, he Pulls down 6.6 rebounds a game, shooting 46, 38, and 89. Uh, so he's definitely, and he's got a super fast release from uh, from yeah. three. And if you recall, I think the, I don't know, did they play in East Lansing last year? But the, at least the, no. yeah, the year before that, he was the one who missed that three at the buzzer. Oh, he they did. They um, did. Yeah, that yeah was, that's right. Because that was a game that Michigan a State also, you know, both games against Iowa last year, they were in control and let it get away late. The one in East Lansing, they barely survived. Yeah, and he had a clean look at that thing. Very clean. Right? Yeah. Yep. And then he was part, as I remember, 
of that debacle in Iowa City. Oh, yes. <laughs> so it's interesting to me. You've seen more of them than I have. My sense is he's been much steadier this year because last year, he was yes. a freshman, he showed great potential. Mm-hmm. Then last year, okay, he's going to be a bigger role. He's a big shooting threat. And he got off to a horrendous start shooting the ball and then gradually got himself back on the beam as the year unfolded. He's been steadier this year. Yeah, I would say he's he's their best. I think in some ways he's their best player in that you, you're going to get the same out of him every day. Even even Tony Perkins will sometimes have up and down games. Sanford is almost yeah. always – because the one thing Sanford can do now that he wasn't doing before is he can get in the lane. He can score yeah. uh, in other ways, which he wasn't doing – maybe he did it last year. I don't recall too much. But this year, a lot more getting twos. Uh, he's not just living behind the line. Absolutely. And again, it's borne out by the stats. Um, yeah, three-point shooting is a big part of what he does, but it's not the only thing. The other thing I was really um, I'm impressed by is he leads the team in rebounding. Yes. I mean, 6.6 6. 6 a game for a wing, and, you know, not a particularly physical guy. Um, credit to him. It's They could use a couple more of him, actually, <laughs> uh, to solve the rebounding problem. Well, they got but, one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Another Sanford, anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, um, yeah, he's definitely has taken a step up, no doubt about that. Ben Cricky is a six nine, two hundred forty five pound transfer grad transfer from Valpo. He's averaging fourteen and a half points a game, four point six rebounds a game, shooting fifty four, thirty six, and seventy four. But that thirty six is very low volume, so it's not something he really is part of his game. Yeah, what you know, Iowa has has managed to. Uh, you know, there's I mentioned one type of player Fran has, and then there's this other type with big but skilled centers. Um, and they've done it obviously they did it with uh with Garza and uh then they had um Rebracha the last couple mm-hmm. of years who was yep. uh, you know, quite kind of quietly a very effective player. What's what's your verdict? It's Ricky's numbers are are decent. I expected more from him as a rebounder, but um, at least offensively, they're decent. What's What's been your take on him? I mean, he's been a good addition. I mean, he's obviously a very good addition to their team. He's He's been very effective with the four. I, I feel like he's not been quite as effective recently uh, as um, doing as much, but solid, steady player. I think he does okay. He tends to foul quite a bit, which may contribute yeah. maybe part of that fouling problem that they have. Uh, so he gets himself in foul trouble, along with the next player we'll talk about with Freeman. So... I, I don't know. I think he's been he's definitely been a good good addition for them. And without him, they'd be forced to play a lot more McCaffrey, which would be a little trickier, I think. Yeah. There's really no depth. Uh, and then speaking of uh, freshmen, uh, Owen Freeman, 6'10", 230-pound freshman. Uh, he has been very good, especially of late. He's started 16 games and continued to improve, averaging 10.6 points a game and 6.4 rebounds a game, shooting 63% from the floor, 67% from the line. It doesn't really, not a three-point threat. Uh, very effective. I think he's he is going to be a very good player. Uh, he has some really good moves. He The only thing, uh, knock against him, if, is that right now, is that like most freshman bigs, he's foul prone. So he can get into foul trouble real quickly and take himself out of games. Yeah, uh, this is a guy that um, I don't know that we ever spent any real time talking about him, but he so. was... He was a Michigan State offer. He's out of Ohio, I think. Um, and he was a Michigan State offer. 
ended up going to Iowa. Uh, so obviously they were in that class. It wasn't a wasn't a big deal because remember the guys Michigan State got. Um, mm-hmm. Nobody was crying over Owen Freeman, but um, he was a guy that was on the radar. I think he committed to them fairly early in the process too. Uh, so that's why his name wasn't wasn't mentioned a lot in Michigan State circles. But, you know, not a super, super highly rated guy, but definitely one that was on the radar of uh, various, not just Iowa and Michigan State, various uh, Big Ten programs. So maybe not a shocker that he's, that he would eventually become a, a solid contributor. I will admit to being surprised that he's been this impactful this early i don't think that was necessarily expected but hey the the track record says <laughs> if a guy is contributing like this as a freshman you know the last guy they had that really did that at this position was garza i was gonna say and we yep. all yeah we all know where garza ended up now i don't know, you've seen much more freeman than i have he's not even really attempting threes does he look to you like a guy who might have that down the line? I uh, have free throw really shooting. Seen... The yeah. free throw shooting would suggest that maybe that's there because that would be the that was the one thing that made Garza so tough as he matured is that he was a a three level threat. You know, yeah. he could kill you from three as well as just work you in the post. And Freeman's obviously got that post game part down. He's double digit scorer as a freshman. Um, but that would be the thing that I would think over time they would hope to see that might help him if he's going to end up being that kind of all big Ted level player, that would be something that would be helpful to, um, to add to his repertoire, but he's good right now. Other than, as you say, the fouls and just, you know, inability to defend in general is a problem, but, um, offensively and as a rebounder. He's giving them as much as they could have reasonably expected. Yeah, I mean, you could you could easily see him wearing green and white. I mean, he has quite a motor. He has some really fast, really good, fast, quick post moves, and he's far more athletic than Luca Garza. Not nearly as big, right. you know. Um, right. So, right. I mean, he's the kind of guy you could imagine could play at the next level if he you know starts developing skills, like gets that outside shot. Uh, whereas Garza just physically and right. just, you know athletically just it doesn't have quite the quickness freeman has that so you could i you could envision that he could become a real problem <laughs> even next year in the big 10 even i mean the end of this oh, year yeah. he's really getting a lot better so he's going to be uh-huh. a load for mission state to handle but again his the thing that gets him is he tends to foul uh, especially trying to uh, playing defense you know trying to defend and so that's the thing that that hurts him and once he figures that out i you watch out <laughs> so, in terms of the following, as you observed it, is it is a lot of it following guys in the post? Yeah, rebounding it, stuff. You know, kind of like okay, just, so just going for rebounds. Just, you don't have a chance. Just bad decisions. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. A lot of that. Uh, so then, uh, going to reserves. Start with Patrick McCaffrey, coach's son, six foot nine. Uh, he's been injured and in and out. He had you know he's had all kinds of problems throughout his career. Uh, many well-documented cancer and then just other things. I uh, started 15 games this year. He's kind of moving out in, into a reserve role, 
but still plays a lot, plays about 23 minutes a game, averages 9.3 points a game, three rebounds, shooting 43, 27, 83, and the 27 has been part of the reason why he's not seeing the floor as much. He's just had real trouble outside the arc this year. Yeah, and, and, and that was why he was highly regarded Yeah, coming out of high school was that he was seen as this guy, well, he's got good size, you know, 6'8", 6'9", but he can do a lot of things, including stretch the floor. And his three-point shooting has just never found a consistent equilibrium. And, and as you mentioned, his health would be a reason for that. He's been so up and down in terms of just availability that when that happens, it's hard to maintain consistency as a shooter. Obviously, still a valuable guy. He's playing a lot. Uh, but you can see now, essentially, I think what's happened is he's lost his starting role as Freeman has emerged. And so, you know, that moved Cricky to the four, and and now you've got McCaffrey um, coming in as a reserve. But uh, but again, he's still going to play a lot of minutes. You know, that just actually makes me think, when you were asking about Cricky, I think that's been one of the bigger changes, that Cricky's been playing the four instead of the five, this, and I think it's right. not a natural position for him, and that's probably why he's been struggling a little bit more, uh, especially defending and stuff. Uh, than before, than uh, earlier in the season. Yeah, but you see the dilemma that it creates because mm-hmm. yeah they they need Cricky. You know, Cricky's been a productive offensive player. Yes, so they don't they don't want to. You know, it's basically two fives instead of a five and a four, right? Yeah, because mm-hmm. they don't get they don't get perimeter real perimeter impact from either one of those two guys, but yet they need them in there because both those guys are giving them offensive production inside and i was been so bad in terms of rebounding that i would imagine it's been at least a little bit better resistance with those two guys as opposed to cricky and mccaffrey um yeah so i could see i could see the rationale but i could also see where this is a situation where there aren't there's not a perfect answer yeah i think so too fran yeah I, you know, in some ways, a little bit like Michigan State, sometimes that the back of four is like a little bit tr- tricky spot, but it's uh-huh. not a starting problem. Uh, then moving on to uh, my wife's least favorite player, DeSante Bowen, 6'2", sophomore backup point guard, averaging 4.4 points a game, uh, better than 3-1 to assist turnover ratio, shooting 40, a blistering 22% and 85 from the line. Why is that the case? She just thinks he makes lots of bad decisions. He's sort of, uh, he's your classic guy just moving too fast. Now, three to one assist turnover ratio doesn't look bad, but I don't know. He just doesn't, right. he, he doesn't evoke any confidence when he comes out on the floor. Iowa's, and this is an interesting thing. So Iowa does, in terms of their offensive philosophy, at least on the surface, they share a couple of things in common with Michigan State. They like to play fast. In fact, they generally play faster than Michigan State does. Um, but they, they like to get in transition, all of that. So that's all similar. But they also, Iowa always has a very high assist to turnover or um, assist, assisted made field goals rate. Right. So the vast majority, even a little better than Michigan State's this year. Um, and so they have a lot of guys, and we know they don't turn the ball over ever. So they always have a lot of guys with very impressive assist to turnover ratios. Bowen would be one of those. But the difference in the two programs, I think, is Iowa almost never, I can't think of the last guy they had 
they, they, I don't think they've had one, honestly, in the Fran era. A truly dynamic guard. A guy who really creates things. If you think about Michigan State, this team, for example, A.J. Hogard, when he's got a humming, A.J. Hogard is a guy who actually creates opportunities for teammates. I think Jeremy Fears showed enough to suggest he's going to be a player like that. Bowen's mm-hmm. not that. That, that. that ratio looks really good. But how much of that is happening where he's truly creating an opportunity for a teammate? I don't think very often. They have a lot of guys. If you think about Iowa basketball, they have a lot of guys. And, and McCaffrey's older son yeah. was a prime example of this, who rack up assists basically by just swinging the ball on the perimeter or mm-hmm. making a post-entry feed. It's not, it's not, wow, that's a play that guy made for somebody, you know? Right, yeah. And I think that's where Bowen just, you know, you, you, the number's fine, but you got it. That doesn't tell you what you might think it's telling you. Uh, then Brock Harding, six foot freshman. Uh, he's uh, also a backup point guard, averaging 3.2 points a game on 33, 30, and 81 shooting. Uh, he plays about uh, 11 minutes a game at, with a three to one assist turnover ratio. And I would say if there's anyone who would have the opportunity to be that person who is actually dynamically creating things, he, he kind of looks like he might be that guy, which would be, uh, you know, like you said, to be different for Iowa. And that's at least been my impression of watching him play recently. Yeah, and and I think they imagine that over time that jump shooting number is going to get better. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, that he's uh, of these two guys. You know, Bowen's only a sophomore too, so they're both guys who you would think maybe as soon as next year, or definitely the year after. I don't know whether Perkins is likely to take a, a COVID year, but. Um, they're the next phase, and I kind of think Harding's probably more likely to be the guy. Yeah, I think so too. Price Sanford be next, uh, younger brother of Peyton, six foot six freshman wing, uh, expected to be a really good shooter, but he's averaging only two point seven points a game in eight minutes, uh, shooting thirty five, thirty five, and sixty seven. And I think that that middle thirty five percent was due to one game where he got really hot. He had like four or five threes and. He really hasn't done a whole lot since then and can't guard anyone, but you know, <laughs> right team for that. Is there, is there any disappointment evident in the Iowa fan base from what you could tell in him? Because he was a, I mean, he was a solidly top 100 guy. He was higher rated than his brother coming out of high school. And I certainly was under the impression that he might even be good enough to push for a starting role. And that has clearly not happened. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't really have a good feel for that. I I think people just give him a you know give him a year off. But I I think they expected more for sure. Yeah, and any especially since he's shown signs of it, like you know. But it's it it almost is like that Foster lawyer game against Ohio State in the Big Ten tournament. <laughs> you know, right. Off, you're One like, oh, game. I guess that three points there somewhere, yeah. and you know, just never really saw it again. So I don't know. I mean, I guess they'll give him another year before they get really frustrated. And finally, uh, Lajay Dembele, 6'8", 250-pound freshman post, averaging 1.8 points a game, 2.3 rebounds a game in 11 minutes, shooting 33, 24, and 30. Uh, and he inexplicably takes about 40% of his shots from three. Yeah, big body. Obviously, he thinks he's got some face-up <laughs> game. It, the results yeah. haven't been great, but he's young. Yeah, and you can kind of get away with that in Iowa for a while. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, so then we'll have to go to our 
squeegee squad of Grand Rapids, player that's going to play clean the glass best for Michigan State. Uh, it is currently you are in the lead five to four and a half. You get to pick first this game. It has gotten a lot trickier. Uh, so last game it was Cooper and Kohler both split it at seven with Hall of four and then Sissoko at one. So who are you going with there, Rod? This is tough now. Yeah, it's gotten a lot harder. I'm going to go with Malik Hall. I'm tempted. I'm tempted to take Jaden Akins, but mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Malik Hall. Yeah, I think we're down to the point where we got about five candidates. Yeah. And it really comes down to minutes and, you know, where the, I mean, it's dumb, it says, it kind of sounds dumb, but like where the ball bounces. But it's sort of like, is, are they long rebounds? Are they short rebounds? And well, that's why uh, I said I'm thinking, of, I thought about Jaden Akins. Yeah. Because I think there could be some long rebounds in this game. Yeah, well, I'm going to go with Cooper because I think it, at this point is almost just random. Uh, if you want to make sure your glass is clean properly, make sure you contact the Squeegee Squad of Grand Rapids. Uh, they'll come out to your house, your business, high rise, whatever. No job is too big or too small. They can take care of it. You get 15% off your estimate by just mentioning rebound. Uh, they will clean your ha- glass. They'll clean your house if you need it. So they'll come out with a power washer. Even in February, I guess they'll live through the misery of... <laughs> clean the side of your house this if you want to get all spruced up before spring maybe if you got graduation coming up you want to make sure your house is nice and clean uh, so they'll come out and do that super nice guys very professional you get the job very done very quickly and very reasonably priced so uh, if you want to get estimates for that you can head on over to our support page at the final force not the schedule.com slash support and there you can find the links to get an estimate for that done which moves on to the five keys of the game brought to you by nudge printing uh, we're going to have a brief little Interlude with Gabe from Nudge Printing. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Gabe Viscomi, owner of the fantastic sponsor of the Final Force on the Schedule, Nudge Printing. We're here to take a peek behind the curtain. So one of the questions people ask you or might be curious about, you know, are you allowed to sell Michigan State University products? I mean, how does the licensing work and what does it actually mean? <laughs> yes. Uh, okay, so we are officially licensed. Um, so we've had our license since 2011 and, you know, we started off with car decals basically. And the way that it works is we basically get all of our work approved through Michigan state. So we'll make a a design, send it to MSU. Um, they will go through, they will approve it. And then it's my responsibility to sell the garment. And once we do, we have to record all of the sales we pay we pay a royalty back back to uh, michigan state and every university that we have and um yeah it's it's a very uh, tedious thorough process of making sure that we are representing michigan state well and uh it's not easy (laughs) yeah well and i imagine universities are very protective of their brands and so they want to make sure it's not displayed in ways they don't want to display it right that's (laughs) <laughs> yeah. No figure. A billion dollar brand. Uh, they they are keeping a close eye on it for sure. Right. That's why you don't have any Mickey Mouse stuff, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So the five keys of the game. Number one, win the transition game. So Iowa plays fast and Michigan State likes to play fast. So someone's got to win this, I think. They're the two, they're the two um, highest rated teams in terms of transition points, fast break points. And we know, mentioned Iowa's pace numbers at the outset, yeah. and we know traditionally that's what they do. This team is no different. 
We know that Michigan State likes to play fast, and we've been seeing that. I, I would say it's, and I haven't looked this up, but it is anecdotally at least, and we I think we touched on this recently, it has felt like the, the most in years in Big Ten play that Michigan State has been able to run. Mm-hmm. That you have, and, and I don't know if that's, I think some of it is Michigan State just being insistent in doing that in a way, certainly in a way they weren't last year. That's true. Yeah. But I also think that maybe defenses have been a little looser. Um, there's been an influx of newer coaches, so maybe there's not yet that full understanding and commitment to getting back and floor balance when you're facing Michigan State. But whatever the reason, it has felt that they've been able to get into transition. Or one thing that's definitely true is this team, more than most Tom Bizzo teams, has been generating live ball turnovers. You know, they they yes. they are much more prone to come up with a steal. Oh, Fifteen than, last game. <laughs> yeah, right. And and so that stuff has enabled them to get into transition a little more readily. But regardless, both of these teams are going to want to play a ninety-four foot game. It would be surprising if we don't see this game at least played in the 70s in terms of points. Yeah, oh, um, for sure. If, yeah. not, if not faster. So, I was going to do some damage on the break. Right? You're not going to stop them from that completely. But Michigan State should still have an advantage because Michigan State will get back better than Iowa does. At least they should. And so that means this is an area that you would hope that MSU would end up coming out with an advantage when it's all said and done. Now, you know, again, neither team, you know, Michigan State is in the top 40 in turnover percentage on offense. Iowa is whatever they were, top 10, I think. Yeah, uh, 11th, yeah. 11th, okay. Oh, you're right, 9th, so, yeah. So you don't expect, either one to be doing what Michigan was doing, let's say, and <laughs> right. prone to prone to interceptions or getting stripped. But if either Michigan, let's put it this way, that's another area where Michigan State has an advantage. Michigan State will generally create more of that stuff, those those live ball turnovers than Iowa does. And that might, well, we're, again, we're not talking about 15, but if, say, if Michigan State's able to get seven or eight steals and Iowa's got four or five, that might play into an advantage in transition as well. You know, so it's, it, it, it but it really comes down to I have more faith in Michigan State's transition defense than I do Iowa's. And so that should mean MSU comes out with an edge here. Second key to the game is controlling the glass. Uh, we have a bad, mediocre to bad rebounding team. Uh, they are not very good offensively or defensively, and, but you know, Michigan State is also not great either way. And so this is one where you don't have a huge edge in Iowa's favor. And um, so anyway, so it's, <laughs> they got to win that. I made this point uh, yesterday talking about, talking about this stuff. It was uh, on the Spartan Mag board. Uh, Jim Camperoni had a, detailed post uh, autopsy of the Michigan game. And, I, and I'm not putting this on Jim. I think a lot of people are, are stuck in 
analyzing Michigan State through the prism of what normal expectations are. And we all know what the program staples are at Michigan State, you know, defend, rebound, run, right? Right. Well, rebound is a big part of that. This Michigan State team has not remotely shown an ability to be dominant as a rebounding group. And we've talked a lot here about the fact that where you really worry is games like this, where they're facing a mediocre to poor rebounding opponent. That's where they've struggled. They've typically been able to cycle up their level against good rebounding teams and hold their own. But it's the bad ones that you worry about. This Michigan State team, though, is different. And we I don't know that a lot of people have tapped into the differences and why they're important. We always talk about rebounding and turnovers sort of in tandem. Why do we do that? Because those are the two areas which give you additional scoring opportunities. Right. Okay. If your opponent is turning the ball over, that means they're not getting a shot up. If you don't turn it over, you are, and you might have an edge there. But Michigan State typically has carved out an advantage in scoring opportunities on the boards. They've generally limited what an, pretty well what an opponent is able to do on their offensive boards. And then when Michigan State has the ball, they've tended to be a program that consistently gets a lot of second chances. So that's an area where they've carved out this advantage. And, the, and generally speaking, MSU has shot the ball better than opponents on, right. on an average basis at yeah. least. So the math is, you can see where I'm going with this. The math is pretty simple. <laughs> if, I, if I'm if i a little more efficient than you are and I'm getting more opportunities to score than you are, I'm going to win most of the time, right? Yeah. That's the formula. And, and rebounding has been an area where they've carved out a significant advantage, and it's had to be because typically Michigan State teams turn the ball over a fair amount, and then at the other end, They've very rarely been a team that generates a lot of turnovers. Well, this year, we've had to flip that on its head. Yeah. MSU has been great. They're 40th in limiting mistakes when they have the ball. It's by far the best an Izzo team has ever been. Not even close. Yeah, it's not even close. Very rarely, maybe one or two other years, they've been in the top 100, but they've been the lower end of the top 100. This is legitimately, and when you factor in how fast they play on offense at times, it's even more impressive. They legitimately are a good ball handling team. No caveats. Not for a Michigan State team. They're good <laughs> objectively. But the other end of it is that they've also been on iso like in terms of generating turnovers. They are a top 100 team in both uh, turnover generation overall and steals, so those live ball turnovers. So you put those two things together, that means, and we've seen this all year, right? It's it's a yeah. weird thing. We're not used to seeing this. Michigan State having decisive advantages in the turnover department because they're generating more than they're giving up. That's what they've had to do with this team to carve out that scoring opportunities advantage. And so the reason I'm mentioning it here when we're talking about rebounding is 
given that, given that you, Michigan State goes into most games feeling like they have an advantage in turnovers, the objective on the boards has to be just neutralize it. Just make it even. Yeah. As long as you're not giving an edge to the opponent, you're going to have an advantage in scoring opportunities because turnovers are going to create that for you. The Michigan game was a good example of this. Rebounding was essentially even, right? So Michigan yep. did not have an edge there. But MSU had a huge edge in turnovers. Ball game. In fact, it was enough that it overcame a truly bad three-point shooting performance. Mm-hmm. MSU needed to have that. So I look at a game like this, it, it, it'll, be a, it'll be different than the Michigan game in that I don't know that I expect Michigan State to end up with a big advantage in turnovers or maybe even an advantage at all, you know, because Iowa doesn't commit a lot of them. So, but you could hope that Michigan State maybe has a two turnover edge, something like that, I think is realistic. That means you just need to play Iowa even on the boards. If MSU can end up with an advantage, great. But they've just got to neutralize them here. That's the goal. And it's interesting looking at those, you know, we always use numbers to, to kind of give it to paint pictures of how things work. Uh, but as you pointed out, however you get to the math, it doesn't matter sort of what combination you use to get more opportunities right. if you're scoring more. And, you know, what they used, we always used to use, I think, is the overall rebound rate. And last game was yep. a good example of how it was pretty useless because you have Michigan State generating 22 turnovers. They lose the overall rebounding. Uh, 35-31, but that's because you know Michigan had committed fifteen, had fifteen steals against them. That's fifteen less field goal opportunities and right. opportunities to get rebounds. And so you know you could say, well, they, they that's why it doesn't really mean anything. It's sort of a meaningless sort of uh, stat. So, uh, all right. So we'll go on to the third key to the game is the deep ball. Michigan State obviously shot poorly against Michigan, even with some wide open ones. Uh, Iowa doesn't do great job in limiting or. Uh, generating missed threes and so this is hopefully an opportunity to get a little home cooking and get back on track yeah and that's i think it's two twofold here one is you just want to michigan state's been an incredible three-point shooting team i'm not i'm using that word advisedly incredible plus 40 percent as a team since big 10 play started i think that's still holding true even after the michigan game maybe they slipped just below but mm-hmm. they've been really really good um, and then they just had a bad night, Ann Arbor. But you don't want that to turn into. We, we saw early this season, right? One <laughs> can turn it, yeah. into two, can turn into three. So you don't want that. You want you want things right back where they've been. And what helps you there, what should help you there, is Iowa doesn't do much in the way of limiting attempts. And the attempts they're giving up are obviously pretty good ones because teams are shooting a good rate against them. So there's an opportunity just for the overall trajectory to get back and back where they want to be. And then on top of that, the impact on this particular game could be big. Yeah, State's shooting 36.5% from three this season. So uh, moving on to number fourth key to the game is the paint offense. Uh, so Michigan... State been very good, especially with Malik Hall. It's been fantastic recently, uh, getting scoring inside the paint. Iowa, very bad defending inside the paint. So this is one where you want to really exploit the Hawkeyes. We, we said before the last game, I wondered 
about Malik as well as he'd been playing, going up against a guy in Kamwa who had a physical edge. And it didn't matter. You know, Malik obviously yeah. played very, very well, won that matchup, um, was great to see as he continues to really play not just well, he's been dominant of late. You know, he's he's clearly gotten to another level. The best level of his career is right now. Yeah. Iowa again, you're you're talking about Cricky being a guy who has a a little bit of a physical edge. He's a bigger player. I'm not sure he's got the mobility to hang. No, he does not. With Malik. <laughs> right. And then when they go to McCaffrey, well, McCaffrey's giving up a lot of in the strength department. Yep. Uh, when when Malik is playing him, so I think I think there's an opportunity for Malik to continue to do damage on the blocks. I would like to think additionally, maybe this is a game that Jackson Kohler starts to find his finishing touch because, you know, it's the same thing we saw last year. There's more of, you know, last year the excuse was, well, he's a freshman, he needs to get stronger, finish these plays. Now we're talking about, well, he's a sophomore, but he sat out so much time. You know, hopefully we're going to get to a point with Jackson where the, the excuses aren't there and he's just finishing. I would like to see that happen here. The, the encouraging thing is, he continues to get himself into opportunities, and that's not surprising. He's got great footwork. He has a great understanding of angles and how to use his body to create space. You know, there's a lot of good there, but he's just got to finish plays. This is a team I think he could finish plays against. And then, in addition to the post game, this is one where, look, I- Iowa does not do a great job of containing opposing guards. So, A.J. Hogarth, you want to see playing downhill, like from the get-go, not settling for 15-foot jumpers, get the ball to the rim. Tyson Walker to continue to do his thing. Trey Holloman to continue to get the ball to the rim. Jay Nakins to continue attacking, which we we see with a little more regularity than we used to. Um, All of those opportunities are going to be there in my estimation. But, you know, again, the bottom line is, for as much as Iowa struggles against three, they're they're worse against twos. So yeah. you want to take advantage of them inside. Yeah, the threes will be there. If <laughs> you just can wait, yeah. it'll be it's the twos you want to generate. All right. So the fifth key to the game and is interior defense. Iowa is not a good three team. Uh and they don't take very good uh that and so, you know, Michigan State basically has to prevent Owen Freeman and and Cricky, and to some extent, Peyton Sanford from getting going inside. Yeah, and it's not just that, you know, I it, you see them more than I do, so I'll, I'll defer to you on this, but, you know, this isn't, there, there's not a, there's not a Luca Garza, like, nope. Pate destroyer on this team. So when we talk about defending twos, it's not just, boy, these guys are going to go to the block every other possession. Um, You know, they're, they're going to, do it in the mid-range. You're going to do it in a variety of ways. But it's it's about limiting their success inside the arc. And Michigan State is a good defensive team against twos. They're, they're 40th in the country against twos. They're holding opponents to 46% from two. That's a good number. If you hold an opponent under 50% from two, 
you're doing a good defensive job and, and Michigan State is well below that number. So all of that is is very, very important for MSU. You don't, Iowa obviously has guys, and you've alluded to this, they got a few guys who are capable of getting on a roll from three. You could have, even though they're not a great shooting team from deep on the year, you could see a game where, well, would it be totally shocking if Iowa happened to shoot 40% in this game from three? No, oh, that's yeah, within their capability. Um, so, the, But the key is, can you limit them from two? That's where they do a lot of their damage consistently, and yet Michigan State has been very, very effective in limiting what opponents do against them from those areas of the floor. So, the, yeah, that's going to be post-defense, but it's also going to be um, – blowing up their sets, not letting them get shots in comfortable positions from the mid-range, you know, doing those kind of things consistently well, which, they, frankly, they've done most of the year. Yeah, I expect it to be a fairly entertaining game. It's hopefully pretty free-flowing. And uh, one in that, at least when Michigan State's played recently, the last few seasons, it feels like, they've been very comfortable offensively, like getting to where they want and getting shots that they want. And it's just a matter whether they're hitting them. So I expect that, that that part of the game will be pretty good. It's going to be whether they can limit Iowa from countering a lot of those. And so, anyway, it should be a good game. And, and and look, it's also worth mentioning, too, one of the things that is a function, and we don't talk about this a lot, but with Michigan State's defense, Michigan State is actually giving up. You talk, We talk about limiting three attempts. Michigan State has not done that very well. No. At least by the math, they're... They're 339 in opponent three-point attempts, a percentage of field goal attempts. Now, that sounds bad, but <laughs> in this case, it's actually, um, I think, reflective of what Michigan State does defensively. Yeah. Michigan State will give that stuff up because they want to stop you. They're not, they've never been a true pack line uh, defense philosophically, but they're close to that. They always, year in, year out, they want to limit what you can do inside the arc. And I think a lot of those attempt numbers from three are actually a result of teams just not being able to have success getting anything going from two. And then MSU is in conjunction with the giving up a lot of attempts, but they are in the top 100 in three-point percentage against. They're 98, giving up 32.4%. So... That's, those are numbers you can live with if you're MSU. And particularly for this Iowa team, now maybe you pay a price if they happen to have a hot day. But I think on balance, you're going to take your chances with that. So we, Michigan State will want to see their usual game, make it tough on Iowa, as you say, to get comfortable shots. Um, and you got to live with the results from there. Well, the good part is I'm not going to have a heckler behind me. The tough thing is I'm going to have an Iowa Hawkeye sitting next to me. So there's always the uh, <laughs> the tough game for our family. Someone goes home sad and someone's happy. So uh, any other f further thoughts before we head out of here? Well, just that, you know, last week was important in that MSU had two winnable road games and you wanted to see, can you build on what they did at home against Illinois in a big win? And can you... Can you uh, make sure that this late season momentum that temporarily got interrupted 
in Minneapolis continues, and they did that. Was it always pretty, particularly the game in Ann Arbor? You know, you didn't feel like Michigan State played that well, but they got that done. So now we flash forward to this week. The momentum question is is still there. Can you continue to win these? You know, put these winnable games, these games you look at on paper and say, well, we should get this one and get them in the win column. Iowa's first, then over the weekend it'll be Ohio State. Um, these are games, if you're MSU and you're who you think you are at this point of the season, you should win. You know, right. that doesn't mean it's a lock. No game is a lock, but these are games you should win. So that's what I'm expecting to see. I'm expecting to see a Michigan State team with – uh, evidencing enough focus to make that happen. I don't care about style points. Just Al Davis, just get the win. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, Iowa's, Iowa's got, we talked about their problems, but we all know, having seen enough of Fran McCaffrey over the years, Iowa does enough offensively that they can be scary on any given night. You know, for as bad as the defense is, man, when you can go out and you can make shots, if you get on a roll, um, you could be dangerous. And so that's what you worry about. You just want to see Michigan State's defense locked in enough that they slow them down and then figure that when MSU has the ball, Iowa's not going to do a great job of stopping them. And that should be enough to get a win. Yeah. Well, and as much as jumbled up as the Big Ten is in the inside, which is around the like you said, six to eight wins, there's a bit of a log jam at the top too, yeah, where you have absolutely only, only up a game and a half now since they dropped the game to Iowa State. Uh, they are just a game and a half up with on uh, Illinois and you know Michigan State, per, uh, Wisconsin, and Northwestern all tied for third, which yeah. actually makes Michigan State fifth because of just the tiebreakers right now. But right. There's, there's a lot of opportunity to get double buys and things like that. But make sure you pick off these wins and that's an important look i i don't think i'm not getting caught up in the seating discussion you know um i think it's less relevant than ever this year you should have NCAA seating yeah yeah so but but for the big 10 tournament there can be a little bit of an advantage in that you would rather you would rather not have to play until friday right yeah for sure and i think that from a Michigan State perspective, we're very much used to that. You know, in we're we're not used to having to play on Thursdays. Never mind Wednesday. <laughs> um, we don't we don't see that typically. Michigan State is usually a top four team more often than not, and it would be nice, I think, to have that extra day of rest. It's not none of it's critical. But it would be nice to have that. Um, and they're right there. But as you say, they've got an unfortunate situation with the tiebreakers. Wisconsin, having hit the skids the way they have, yeah, MSU's tied with them right now. But Wisconsin, of course, had two victories over MSU. So you've got to finish a full game ahead of them mm-hmm. to, to finish ahead of them in the pecking order. Right now, Northwestern has an edge of the other team that's tied because they're 1-0 against Michigan State. MSU is going to get a chance to avenge that at the end of the year, get second to last game they play at Breslin. 
And, you know, Northwestern was able to win at Indiana yesterday, but Ty Berry is out for the year. That's a big loss. They were able to overcome it yesterday, but, you know, Indiana is not very good. And, and, um, I don't know if I believe that Northwestern is going to be able to sustain that, but, but if they do, that's another team we got to worry about. So from Michigan state's perspective, they're going to be favored in four of their last five games. The only one they're not going to be favored to win is, uh, I suspect, is the game at <laughs> Purdue. I think I think they'll be favored at Indiana, and they'll definitely be favored in the three remaining home games, including sure, the two yeah. this week. Mm-hmm. So if you go four and one, that's going to be tough to beat. I think that if, I think if they do that, there's a pretty good chance they finish third outright. That would that would be my guess, um, but you got to actually do it. So that's another reason why <laughs> these games matter because you want to rack up these wins. You want to continue. There's a lot of reasons for it. You want to get the best seed you can again in the tournament. That doesn't really matter that much, I don't think this year, but you still want to do what you can. And then um, the biggest thing is you just want to have that feeling of continued positive momentum entering March, you know, and so that's where Michigan State's at. Yeah, I think, you know, as far as tournament goes, it'd be nice to avoid a one seed in the second round is probably the only thing that I think it really matters yeah. that much. Uh, because those teams can be can be tricky. You play UConn or something the first second round, that's probably not a good... It would depend game. where you are. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't want to see UConn. If you're Michigan State, you don't want to see, and I think it's out the window now, the old prohibition against seeing a team from your own conference in the second round, and he's been gone for a while. So theoretically, could Michigan State be in the same region as Purdue? Yeah. Right, because they'd only played once this season, yeah. I don't think Purdue, look, they just lost, you mentioned they just lost to Ohio State. I am not a Purdue believer, but <laughs> um, it's about matchups more than it is seeding. Yeah, right. And and Michigan State, I would love to see Tom Izzo do what I think his team is actually capable of doing. I think they are capable of playing in a way that could be disruptive to Purdue. I'm just not certain that I believe they actually will do it, meaning asking their guards to apply a lot of extreme ball pressure. I think that's what you have to do against Purdue. And, uh, you know, we haven't seen Michigan State do that very much, only, only intermittently. Um, so I'd rather not see them, but you're right. That's why, you know, getting to the seven line at least would be better. You know, the eight, nine, and they're kind of in that range right now, you know, but if you can close four and one, pretty good chance that you're a six or a seven in my view. Yeah. That would be well, my you, you guess. You hope so. You yeah. hope they get Yeah. A, you never know. That. You never know for sure, but. You you would at that point you would be looking at a team that the one loss record, which has been the negative so far for Michigan State, would actually turn into not so much of a negative. Um Yeah, with a four and one you know, the, yeah, finish. Yeah, a four and one finish, you'd be talking about a thirteen and seven mark in the league, whatever that would I guess that would be ten losses, but you'd be twenty plus wins. And, and the other thing that helps Michigan State is they are embraced by all the metric systems, the analytical systems. For once. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think they would have a 4-1 close, no matter what they do in the Big Ten tournament, 
would give them a pretty good argument to be on the six or the seven line for, and maybe I might even be underselling it. They might even have a chance at a five. I don't think they can get beyond a five. And I don't think I believe that they will be a five, even with a great close barring, you know, a miracle in West Lafayette. But, um, but a six that looks realistic to me if they do what they should be able to do down the stretch. So we'll see. You can certainly go crazy right this time of year looking at quad one, quad twos because teams fall in yeah. and out of quad. Like, you know, Absolutely. for instance, Indiana State just just lost. They've lost two in a yep. row now. So now they, they're no longer a quad one win. Right. And East Lansing, uh, you know, they could get back on the horse and win a couple more games. Well, we're gonna, and I guess this is a, a good time. Yeah, I was going to mention by Dom. I think Dom, I mentioned yeah. on the board. Right. Go ahead. Uh, we're going to answer all these questions <laughs> or, a lot, or at least try and get some unmuddling of what's the situation for Michigan State. We're going to have Dom from the number one. He was the number one bracketologist in America. He's going to come on the show. We had him on a couple times last year. He's going to come on after the Ohio State game. So next, whenever, next week and a half or something from now. So we'll get him on sometime. We'll talk about all the seating issue, uh, potential and sort of where everything sits as in the Big Ten and then broadly. So actually, if you want to have, if you have any questions for Dom, you'd like him to answer that's not related to Michigan State or the Big Ten specifically. Happy to pose them to him, uh, you know, whatever, you know, other team you're interested in. So just shoot them along to me at eric at tffinots.com. Uh, also, um, just make sure you check out our sponsors of the show at the support page at the final force on the schedule.com slash support. And I guess uh, until next time, final force on the schedule. Go green. <laughs>